everyone. My name is Sherry Rice, and I'm CEO of Access to Healthcare Network. Welcome to our podcast, Access to Health. Our goal is to bring you informative speakers from the healthcare industry to give you information that can help you make your healthcare decisions. Today, we are talking about immunizations, and my guest is Heidi Parker, Executive Director of Immunize Nevada. Welcome, Heidi. Thanks for having me today. Well, wonderful. This is, of course, a very timely topic. I think there'll be quite a bit for us to chat about. But first, I'd like you to tell us about Immunize Nevada. What is it and how does it function in our state? Absolutely. So Immunize Nevada is a statewide nonprofit. Uh, We function as a coalition of um, actually lots of different partners who um, are just committed to ensuring that everybody stays healthy through vaccination and preventative health. And we're approaching our 25th year of immunization coalitions in Nevada. So that's a really exciting um, milestone for us. Um, Ironically, um, immunization coalitions were formed uh, back in the last measles outbreak of 1989-90 era. Um, So unfortunately, you know, we've come kind of full circle, um, but we're still here. And uh, we're doing a lot of work around advocacy, uh, community outreach, so making sure that people know where to go, um, how to pay for it, what's available, what's recommended, and if they have those questions that many parents and uh, families have. We also do clinical education. So we're out there training healthcare professionals, um, the next workforce. So we have programs that we're working with nursing students, community interns, um, and so on. And what do you train them in? Um, So best practices for immunizations, current topics, trends, uh, changes, new vaccines. Um, We do monthly webinars. Um, Nursing students and community health science, public health students uh, work with us each semester, and so they get to work on our projects, um, kind of depending on what we're doing at that time, so they get a lot of exposure as well. Do you do trainings or presentations to families? That is a, actually a great question. Um, it's something that more and more coalitions are starting to do, and we've been kind of following um, specifically a coalition in Oregon called Boost Oregon. Um, they're having some great success um, with a program that they started. Um, so potentially on the horizon, um, working with local um, physicians, you know, to maybe get something like that started. That's fabulous. So let's talk about vaccinations, immunization, but you know I'm going to bring up measles because uh, you kind of kind of have to live under a rock yeah. not to uh, <laughs> not to have heard in some way that there is a very large measles yes. outbreak. I read this morning there were up to a thousand cases mm-hmm. in the United States, which may not seem like a lot, but it is a lot of cases mm-hmm. of measles. Let's talk about that. How did that mm-hmm. happen? So I, the the measles outbreak um, has been, um, I, for me, actually very interesting to follow. Um, the CDC does weekly updates. So I've actually been tweeting out my uh, my Monday measles number of cases um, uh, because it has. Every Monday, that number has increased. Um, where it came from, how it started, um, I think is complex. So we can look at uh, Europe. Last couple of years, I've had skyrocketing number of measles cases. Um, measles has never gone away. Um, globally, over 100,000 people still die from it. Um, so it's always been there. The U.S. you know, did a great job eliminating it. Um, it was declared eliminated in 2000. Um, obviously, that's in jeopardy right now. Um, but 
when we look at traveling, you know, diseases are only a, a car, plane, train ride away, um, and going back and forth to Europe. Um, it just takes that one unvaccinated traveler um, to come back. And if we have pockets and communities that are unvaccinated or have low vaccination rates, um, it allows um, contagious, you know, diseases like measles to come back. And that's what's happened with this current outbreak. Um, New York has been battling their outbreak since last fall, and they um, they have the most cases, you know, out of the case number. However, those confirmed cases, we are adding states each week. And, and so Nevada's included in that. Nevada is included. Um, I think we're up to 28 states is what I maybe saw um, this week. And that's because when one person, you know, um, is exposes you, you could be standing next to them in the grocery store or they go to school, you know, so there's all these different factors. Well, how, how long are they contagious before they break out in the rash? Well, that, um, so when we're talking about, I think measles, one of the things that we have to remember is you can be contagious before you even know it. So, and then once you are contagious, that stays in a room for two hours plus. Wow. Um, so lots of concern around that exposure time. Um, and then obviously once you get the rash, it's more obvious and you're not feeling great. And then that's usually when people seek um, treatment. Um, but you'll, if you look at some of the exposure places, you know, people then show up at that hospital or they show up at an urgent care, and then that becomes, you know, a place of concern um, for others uh, who may not, they, and it may not be that they're, um, they just may not have a great immunity to measles. So you can still have those two doses, but um, there's still that small percentage of anything, you know, that's not 100%, doesn't work. Um, when I was young, um, and I would, the early 50s, I'm 70, um, measles was a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, measles, mumps, Chicken pox were literally a rite of passage. Um, interesting enough, I've never had the measles, mm -hmm. uh, which I didn't know that. Um, someone at my age, should I be getting vaccinated for the measles? So when we look at um, who needs to be vaccinated or who should be concerned right now, um, there's a couple, I, I guess there's a couple different um uh, patterns of thought. So one is for my generation, which we're Gen Xers. So we're in a group that probably just only got one dose. Um, it wasn't recommended to get that second dose. A lot of us maybe got the second dose if we went back to school. Mm. Maybe we needed it for employment. You know, so someone said, "Hey, bring your records," and then, "Oh, you've only had one, and you need two. Um, so that's what happened to me. I tried to take a class at UNR, and they said, "Oh, you need another MMR." And what? That you know, I had no idea. Um, so that's that Gen X group. You know, is probably um, some of those that are under immunized. Um, it's preventative, and if you're traveling, you know, absolutely, you should consider getting that second dose. Um, because you just don't know. And so I think that's um, something that everybody can talk with their healthcare provider. Here in Nevada, pharmacists vaccinate. So you can just actually walk into your pharmacy um, that you go to normally for under your insurance plan and you can talk with that pharmacist even as well. 
So someone who doesn't have insurance mm -hmm. and doesn't have a way to pay for them, are there places where they can get vaccinated for free and they can get their children vaccinated for free? There are. Um, Nevada participates in the Vaccines for Children program. Um, it's a great federal program. Um, I know sometimes we don't always use those words together, right? <laughs> but this program um, has been around for over 20 years. Um, it was developed specifically for that reason, to ensure that children had access um, so the way it works in Nevada is there are um, VFC, so that's the acronym for it, those providers participate in the program and they have a specific vaccine um, that is no cost. So a family can go to a provider that participates and get vaccinated for no cost. Now there's some, I guess, nuances with that. If it's a private physician practice, you know, there may still be that office charge. So if you're truly uninsured and obviously co cost is most likely an issue, um, then we have a lot of other great providers like Community Health Alliance, Northern Nevada Hopes, um, the health districts, um, Washoe, Carson, you know, so those type of providers um, are a great access for point for uninsured families. Um, I think this community um, has done a great job um, opening up those services to pediatrics, you know, so Hope's expanded and Community Health Alliance has multiple locations now. Um, they all have pediatricians on staff now. Um, so especially if a family is concerned for their children and where to go or if they need a medical home, um, those are some great opportunities. Another great clinic that we have in this community is up at the university, so the Student Outreach Clinic. Um, they have um, clinics scheduled monthly um, general and pediatrics. And so, is there one website someone could go to, Heidi, to get all there is to find out all those <laughs> right locations? because it's like a lot of information. It's hard to know where to go. Um, so, Immunize Nevada has um, done um, kind of that work for everybody. So, on our website, we have a where to go link. Um, and you can actually look at that link for the whole state. So we have it broken up uh, by ge like geographic locations. We have northern, southern, and then we also do have rural um, uh, resources on there as well. So the million-dollar question is, why wouldn't somebody vaccinate their children? That is definitely the million-dollar question. Um, and, you know, I think like probably many million-dollar questions, the answer is really complex. Um, but I... Um, I tend to answer it in a couple different ways. So there's that family, probably the one we just talked about, who wants to vaccinate, but they can't get that access. So they can't find somewhere to go. Um, they can't get there during clinic hours because they're working multiple jobs. Or um, especially in, like I would say, in Las Vegas, you know, the time to get to maybe the one place that you can go is not possible with your schedule, right? Transportation. Um, so there's a lot of those social determinants of, of health, you know, those issues that play into access to care and absolutely influences, you know, whether or not someone is able to then vaccinate their child. Um, and then we see those are the families that then struggle and are trying to get their children enrolled in school, right, to on time because they have they've have all these barriers. Um, so those are kind of our, our access challenges that, unfortunately, we see reflected in our immunization rates with disparities below poverty, um, uninsured. The other group um, are ones that have access but, for whatever reason, are making that choice not to vaccinate. And I think that's where the complexity really does come in because there's so many different factors there. Um, you may have read something on the internet or you had a family member, you know, that told you something. Um, 
and without going to a more credible source or knowing even where those credible sources are, um, right now, social media, online information, it's very easy to get overwhelmed with the misinformation. Um, And I think that's obviously not just vaccines, right? It's a lot of information out there. Well, sure. We went through um, a whole lot of discussion for many years on vaccines and autism. Mm -hmm. And many parents were afraid that vaccines gave Mm -hmm. children, could give their children autism. So how was that counteracted? So I think that um, even though we've been talking about that probably for now decades, I guess, um, it's still out there, unfortunately. But the science piece and what we know, you know, is that um, that was never a correlation. You know, it was falsified. Study was retracted. um, That um, person lost their license. You know, so there was a lot of... um, pieces that came into play but late you know so that myth circulated for quite a while it got to become part of that narrative and it's hard sometimes to uh, you know then get away from that um so I think the counter that is that we've had dozens and dozens of studies and we're still studying it um uh I've talked recently more recently about a study that happened in Denmark um and it really I mean it it absolutely shows no correlation, and, and that's what each study has. Um, and I think I, I my personal frustration is that, and I, I think there's colleagues share this too, is we see this funding. We know there's not a lot of funding out there, right? And it would be great if that funding was actually put towards, you know, ways to help families, you know, dealing with <laughs> autism or some of these other um, things rather than continuing to put it to something that we know is is now a fact. Vaccines don't cause autism. That's the science. We know that. Um, so yes, that is still a reason we hear sometimes. Um, we also have a movement, I would say, that's come up in the last couple of years that is more of a um, parental rights. Um, it's my choice between myself and my healthcare provider. So this movement, um, and it's it's coded in a lot of different terms, medical freedom, informed consent. Um, but this is more of a, a movement that's rooted in um, not wanting other people to tell you that this is a decision you should be making, um, that they want to make that decision for themselves. And I think a, a great example is a case from Oregon. Um, a little boy was unvaccinated, contracted tetanus. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and the cost, the cost alone of that case, not only did he just almost die from tetanus, was in ICU um, for months, um, but the healthcare costs were almost a million dollars. And the end result of that was that the parents still didn't vaccinate that child. Um, and I think those are the challenges where I, it's hard to know how to then help that family or help families like that that are. Um, so rooted in their decision that it that the risk um, they don't see that risk to their child. Well, it's interesting to me that the public hears more about the reasons why parents don't vaccinate, such as um, the autism mm-hmm. issue, the aluminum that might be in mm-hmm. the vaccinations, or it's too many vaccinations. Mm-hmm 
for such a young child, et cetera, et cetera, or what we had in New York with the Jewish communities <laughs> and being worried that the, there was pig DNA in the vaccinations. <laughs> but I want to point out that the first issue you talked about was access, and the average public doesn't hear a lot about the fact that some children are not being vaccinated because they can't afford it and they can't get there. Yeah. I mean, that that's, to me, as important as any other scenario as to why children aren't vaccinated. It is. And I think what we also don't hear enough about is that the overwhelming majority of parents do vaccinate. Um, nationally, that number of children that are unvaccinated is extremely low, maybe 1% to 2%. Um, so when you look at those numbers and you look at the fact that the majority of parents are making this decision every day, it's safe, effective, and it's literally saving lives and protecting our community. Um, I think that's where we run into that vocal minority um, has been able to get those other pieces of information that are not true, you know, are not science-based into everybody's um, news feed while the rest of it, you know, we don't, I mean, when have you seen on social media, like someone, oh, I took my kids to the doctor today and, you know, yay, they're super, they're vaccinated, they're healthy, protected. We need that, but not, most parents aren't going to run out and start doing that because it's just a normal part of taking care of your kids. Um, I equate it to, you know, we make choices about putting a bike helmet on our kids. We put them in car seats. You know, we do all these things on a daily basis to keep them safe. And vaccines are just another one of those pieces. Um, so I think that's why sometimes we don't hear about the positives. And that's, we try, you know, to make sure that people understand that this is something that everybody's doing. Your provider recommends it for a reason. Um, these are scientific breakthroughs, public health achievements, um, and we need to honor that. Well, that leads me to the question, then, if the majority of children are being vaccinated, then why do we care about the ones that aren't? Why, why does mm -hmm. it matter? Because if they get the measles or the mumps mm -hmm. or rubella, well, I'm sorry, that that was mm -hmm. a choice. So, um, I think that's a great uh, question because kind of back to even just like the bike helmet example, um, if I don't put a bike helmet on my child, well, that my child's the one that's going to suffer, right? It's going to maybe fall, hit his head, could be, you know, obviously serious consequences and injuries, but it's not impacting anybody else. Um, when a child's unvaccinated, like these 1,022 plus confirmed cases, which are majority in children, um, they're the ones that then are able to unfortunately spread that disease in the community um, it, when that disease is contracted. And the ones we have to worry about are our friends, family members with cancer. You know, they're vulnerable. Um, they're immunocompromised. Measles can kill them. Um, we have to worry about those new babies who haven't been vaccinated yet because they can't be. Um, they're too young. Um, so we see unfortunate, you know, deaths from whooping cough in babies that were too young. Um, so those are some of the reasons why it matters is because vaccination is not just about you or me. Um, when we make that decision to vaccinate, we're protecting all the people around us as well that need to be protected. Um, I think that's most evident during flu season. Um, we know that a highly um, vaccinated community is going to have a lot less flu in it and flu is deadly you know we had a season a couple years ago where you know 80,000 plus 
um, people, and those are just confirmed cases. I mean, we know that there's probably many, many more. Um, and years ago, obviously, there was a huge pandemic when millions died. So um, it's one of those things where it's almost like a social contract. You know, you're making a decision um, to do something good for your community. Can a child go to school in Nevada without being vaccinated? They can. Um, Nevada has uh, two options. So we obviously, we have people in our community that just can't be vaccinated. There's a medical contraindication. Um, and a lot of times that is that child is in cancer treatment or something's happening. So related to the, their health condition. So that's a medical exemption. Um, we have a very small number of medical exemptions in Nevada. Um, we also have a religious exemption option. Um, other states have what they call like PBE, personal belief exemption or philosophical. Uh, we do not have that in Nevada. We just have religious. Um, and the way it works is that family has to file a written statement with the school. Um, so in Nevada, the school nurses and the school at that level, they manage those exemptions. So someone could say that they have a spiritual issue with vaccinations and write a letter and then their child is exempt in that in the school district yes and do we have quite a few children that are exempt um nevada has the 14th highest rate of exemptions in the u.s so oh for goodness sakes mm -hmm. so we're pretty high um there's a little bit of a gap um there's definitely a group of states that have very high and then we're at about 3.2 percent um our challenge is because that written statement um, is pretty broad, um, we, if we have a measles outbreak here, um, students will be excluded from school um, who have those exemptions. And some parents get frustrated, and this happened in New York as well, um, with their child being out of school. Um, the easy answer to that is they can get vaccinated and then they can return to school. Um, but that's where sometimes um, we see challenges and, and frustrations with parents. Um, and that written statement doesn't require them to acknowledge that, but it is in Nevada law. Um, and so reminding parents that if you do have an exemption on file, you know your child could be excluded in the case of an outbreak. So with measles, if we had an outbreak at one of the elementary schools, mm -hmm. those children would be excluded? Correct. And that would be in partnership with the local health authority. Um, and they would work with the school district to deem for who needed to be excluded, for how long, um, and how that notification happens. Um, and I think that's a great point to make, too, is that um, these outbreaks are incredibly costly. Um, the investigation, having to figure out those contacts, um, the costs go into the millions, and I think when hopefully this ends soon here in the U.S., um, we're going to see some really high numbers of how much this outbreak has cost, and those are numbers that come right back to us. They're public health dollars that are having to be put towards outbreak response. Um, here in Nevada, you know, we're pretty low. We're at the bottom <laughs> for public health funding. We don't have a lot to spare. Um, and so I think that's a concern um, from public health in terms of where, you know, how are we going to pay for an outbreak if, if we have that here? So somebody can put in this, this um, the exception and uh, exemption, excuse mm -hmm. me, and then their child, when they go to school, is there someone then 
who talks to the parent about the pros and cons of vaccination when they put in the exemption? Um, I don't know because with it being at the school level, um, that's one of the challenges that it's taken public health out of that conversation. Um, we have some amazing school nurses um, here in Nevada, and um, some of our districts, those school nurses are at multiple schools, right? So they're not at the same school every day. Um, so if there's not a nurse present um, when that family files the exemption, we're not sure what that conversation looks like. They may just be filing it with the administrative person, um, and they're probably not equipped, <laughs> you know, to have those conversations. Right. Um, so we're, you know, we're working really closely with school nurses. We have a task force, um, and they continue to ask for a lot of resources um, to provide um, to their staff and um, at their schools, which is great. And I think the more we do um, to help with that um Hopefully, those conversations can happen and the parents do understand the risks. Um, we have some do uh, information that we've helped develop as well, like the risks and responsibilities of not vaccinating that is available to all school nurses, you know, to share as well. Um, so we're, um, we're doing what we can, I think, to get that information out there. But um, at this point, it's, you know, it's at that level and that's a little hard to manage. There's over 800 plus schools in Nevada um, and how those parents are getting that information, you know, we don't always know. My understanding is that we have providers in our community who, pediatricians who will not take care of children that haven't been vaccinated. Um, do you find that to be common that physicians are starting mm -hmm. to say, if you don't vaccinate your child, I'm sorry, but you can't be in my practice? I do. And interestingly, um, I think it's increasing. Um, so we um, we sometimes, you know, there's a lot of mom groups out there. We just hear from parents that reach out to us and, and we'll hear like, I, I can't find a pediatrician that will allow my child to be on a delayed schedule or I can't find an office that will, you know, take my child who's not vaccinated. Um, and it and it's a liability, right? You have a child, maybe they could do come in with measles um, and you have new babies in your waiting room or, um, you know, some other situation, a child that you're treating, again, that may be, you know, going through cancer treatment. Um, you don't want that, you know, to be in your practice. And because it's a standard of care and because um, healthcare professionals want their patients to trust them, um, I think that's where they feel if you don't trust me to that what I'm recommending to you is evidence, science-based, um, maybe I'm not the provider for you. Um, I think the flip side of that then, unfortunately, is that we have families who don't have a place to go. Um, we want them to still get care, and so what does that look like? Um, and I think that's uh, just a, a challenge that is in general, you know, in the um, practice world of, of how, do you, how do you balance that? So do you see in the future, uh, considering this latest outbreak, a little more restriction that, that we would head towards possibly saying you can't get the exemptions the way you're getting them? Or I know New York was even looking at you can't get on an airplane without mm -hmm. showing that you've been vaccinated. You, you can't go to some public places. Do you think that this latest outbreak, mm -hmm. if it continues, will lead us to new laws? 
So I think uh, New York has been kind of that, you know, I don't think anybody wants to be like the poster child or the guinea pig for how things might need to be utilized. Um, I think the travel ban um, was a lot of us didn't realize, you know, that that was something that has always been available as a option. Um, same with how to utilize public health authority, you know, in those times of an emergency. So the travel ban public uh, the public health department mm-hmm. could say there's a travel mm-hmm. ban at any time and you know i think when you think about everything you do to travel like you get a passport you know there's um depending on where you're going you might need verification of vaccination but most of the time you don't um and so i've seen some discussion about that like why wouldn't we just have to submit immunization records when we renew our passport or you know whatever um so i think there's a lot of possibilities. It just depends on, I think, how big things get. Um, I think from a law perspective, um, we saw Maine just uh, remove their exemptions. Um, We know California did a few years ago. Uh, Washington removed it for just MMR. Um, So states are starting to say, look, like this is not acceptable. Um, We have issues. Children need to be vaccinated um, to protect the community. And this is what we we have this within our legal and, and legislative purview, which is always that fine line between people having freedom and government controlling mm-hmm. what you do. Which I'm mm-hmm. sure there's a lot of feelings about that one. There are, and so those uh, those legislative hearings um, went long and full of passion, um, and I think um, in the end. Um, you know, there's decades of rulings about that and public health and the protection of our communities. Um, and that's why they're able, you know, to remove those exemptions um, because it's it's actually not something that's entirely new. I mean, that's, you know, been around that concept for a very long time. Um, I think certain states probably are a little more challenged, you know, with some of those feelings than others. And so I think that's where the struggle is. Um, Colorado um, did not succeed in um, passing some legislation um, for that reason. Very um, differing views, even within a party, you know, so, so challenged. Well, I read that California is considering that only public health officials can get exemptions mm-hmm. Uh, and that doctors can't, and taking that that away from the physician. So the California law or bill um, that's currently being heard um, came out of the fact that um, when their exemption bill passed and they removed personal and religious exemptions, um, their medical exemptions went up pretty high comparatively. And they started researching it and seeing things online too. I mean, that's the thing, right? You post something publicly, it's public, um, people paying for medical exemptions and paying a lot of money and doctors charging. Um, There's very clear guidelines for what's considered a medical um, contraindication, and California wants those guidelines to be followed. And so this current bill um, really tightens that up and then ensures um, that the medical exemption that has been granted is valid. So, Heidi, let me ask you, we've talked a lot about the measles, and we know that that's a, that's a topic that's in everybody's mm-hmm. face right now, as it should be, it sounds like. But what is the, the other vaccination that people aren't getting that causes you some concern that could work into it like the measles mm-hmm. have done? 
I think we see, you know, that obviously there's a lot of other diseases that we vaccinate um, to protect kids against, but one um, in particular that literally um, is cancer prevention is HPV. Um, and it, it, And I think it's hard because we're not talking about cancer that uh, – your teen could get tomorrow. You know, we're talking about cancer in the future. So cancers that they would then develop in their adult life. Um, HPV, it's, yeah, it is an STD. But the thing is, it's the most common STD. The majority of us have had it during our lifetime. Um, The problem is there's strains that cause cancer and you don't know which strain that you potentially have been exposed to. You also don't know who exposed you. I mean, that's, the thing is, um, it can lay dormant. You don't, you know, it's not, you may, if you test, you know, you go in for your pap, you know, maybe that's annual, maybe it's every few years. So in that time period, you know, how do you know? So that's why the HPV vaccine is so important is because we do it early and it's 100% prevention, you know, so it's before sexual activity and then if you're exposed to those cancer strains, um, it will prevent cancer. We are seeing an incredible drop in HPV um, uh, cancer-associated strains, diseases. Um, It's just, it is, I think we could get to a point where um, we may be able to eliminate cervical cancer. Australia has made great strides, and I think they're going to be the leader. our problem is here, especially in Nevada, only about half of our teens have gotten the doses they need. And why is that? And it and and let's say that should be the vaccination should be uh, boys and girls. Correct. So it is um, when it came out, it was just recommended for girls. That caused a little confusion, you know, when boys were added. But um, actually, oral cancers um, are expected to surpass cervical cancers. Um, really very, very soon, um, and that's those are in males. Um, so, yes, uh, boys and girls, um, and why aren't people vaccinating? So there's a lot, um, I think, that plays into that. Um, you know, it is, obviously, it's associated to sex. And I'm a parent. I have a teenager. Um, when he got vaccinated, um He's really great because he knows that right. There's no no option in our house. I'm sure he. I'm sure he's heard it at the dinner table a few times. Right. Um, but he also wants to know. I mean, he's always curious. Like, well, what's this vaccine for? What's going to do? And so, uh, when he went in for his teen uh, preteen bundle, um, which is HPV uh, meningococcal, which prevents against meningitis, um, and then um, Tdap. You know, so. Uh, we were talking about it. I said, well, you know, the uh, meningococcal vaccine, you know, really like that type of um, disease is horrific. It causes people to lose limbs. And, you know, I was kind of talking just about how awful um, that disease is. And the people that I've met, you know, over the years who have survived it. Um, and then I said, you know, HPV vaccines. So, you know, how in share class you probably talked about maybe some different diseases and things that happen. And um, and I said, well, this vaccine, you know, 
prevents some of those diseases can cause cancer and they also cause these really terrible warts right and he was like oh god mom like i don't want my arms to fall off and i don't want cancer you know (laughs) and i'm done done i don't want to talk about it anymore goodness (laughs) sakes i don't want the warts right and so i think um you know we have that unfortunate you know Washoe County is going through it right now, right, with their sex yes, ed they are. curriculum. Yes, they sex ed, yes. Um, and so that's just, um, for whatever reason, you know, it's we have parents that have that association. They don't want to think about that or their concerns. So that's well, part of it. Well, to discuss the HPV vaccination with your child, you have to talk about sex. You do. You can also just talk about the cancer piece, Um as well. And so I think that that's something that we really stress to with providers that it's cancer prevention, first and foremost. Um, we don't, when we talk about other vaccines, we don't always talk about the transmission, you know, like, um, well, you're getting tetanus shot today because you might, you know, play in the dirt or whatever, you know, you're just you're getting a tetanus shot. Um, it's going to prevent these things. So we can reframe the conversation to talk about preventing cancer. And it's, you know, we always say, like, if this was a vaccine that prevented breast cancer or um, other cancers that, you know, skin cancer even, um, I think the conversation would be very different. So cancer prevention. um, And the HPV is given in three? Well, that's the great thing. The science um, and the research ended up um, discovering that if it's given early enough, they only need two doses. Um, So that's another challenge. You know, when you talk about barriers and the barriers we were talking about before, if you were to come back, you know, multiple times and you're already going through some of those um, access pieces, like that's hard, you know, to get back. So that two dose definitely helps. Um, The other problem, just frankly, is it's not required for school. Right. So we have the other two required for school. Now meningococcal is required for seventh grade, as is Tdap. And we get a lot of parents that are like, oh, I only want the ones required for school. And that is frustrating because it doesn't make one vaccine less important than another. It just means that in our state, the Board of Health deemed whatever list of vaccines to be the ones needed to enroll in school. Um So it's on the schedule. It's recommended at age 11 and 12 at the same time. Um, And so we do a lot of, when we talked about our provider education, um, we have a lot around HPV, having um, those conversations about um, that it's just the one of three. These three are recommended. um, That's what we're going to do today. Um, So... And what about access to this Mm -hmm. vaccination, as we talked about earlier, for people that don't have insurance mm -hmm. or people that don't have a way to get uh, to where the vaccinations Mm -hmm. are? What are we doing about that for HPV? So it's under that same program. It's part of the Vaccines for Children program, so it is covered. Um, Same for um, any Affordable Care Act plans. You know, we didn't talk about this, but vaccines are an essential health benefit under any ACA plan. Um, so they should be covered at no cost. Um, I think now, you know, we have some challenges with like some of these other plans that are popping up um, that may not be covering preventative health benefits. Um, Nevada, though, has um, policies in place that plans are required to cover vaccines, um, whether or not the ACA, whatever happens. So I think that's a positive, you know, that Nevada accomplished um, actually 
previous legislative session. And these are what we call essential vaccinations. Yep, essential. Anything on the CDC schedule um, of, falls under that category. So, so as like, a senior, is the pneumonia shot essential? Yes. And that is. And what about shingles? Yes. So, so there's a um, little personal note here. Um, when I went for my annual checkup, I'd already had the shingle shot, but there's a new shingle shot mm -hmm. that's, and it's not available anywhere in Northern I Nevada. Know. I've tried for- There's a shortage. It's been a year. I mean, I can't, I can't get that shingle mm -hmm. shot anywhere, which is a little frustrating yep. when someone says, Absolutely. I mean, if there's something somebody doesn't want, it's shingles. Yeah. And, yep. um, and then you can't get the vaccine. Yep. So what, yep. how does that happen? Yeah, that's, um, I would say that's one of our frustrating parts of our job um, is that supply and demand piece that is obviously way out of our control. Um, so I think what happened with shingles is um, partially the previous vaccine, uh, we didn't have great rates. You know, Nevada's rate was low. Um, and that was, I think, historic across, you know, the nation. So when they made the new vaccine, which is, you know, the uh, they were able to lower the age recommendation, um, and it's a different um, type of vaccine, so it is um, more effective. Um, they just did not anticipate that everybody was going to be so excited <laughs> about this new shingles <laughs> vaccine. Um, and so they are um, they are working hard, you know, but um, just the vaccine technology, um, just, yeah, they're, I think they're producing as much as they can right now. Um It'll, I mean, that's the great, you know, you need that first dose and then you do need a second dose, but at some point that will catch up, you know, once, once you get through. So we recommend um, to people that um, if you, especially if you go to a pharmacy, you can, if, depending on how they're treating it, but a lot of pharmacies are putting on a list. So they'll put you on a list and then when they get their allocation in, they'll just go down that list and they'll get you in and then, you know, they're just kind of working through it that way. So that's how my dad ended up getting his vaccine is his pharmacist was like, I'm just putting you on my list and you'll get a call from me, but then you need to come <laughs> because I'm going to move on you know, right. to the next person. Right. Um, so that's, that is a challenge. And, and we, you know, obviously, um, we don't want shortages or delays, and sometimes it just happens. Um, we've seen so pharmaceutical it. companies. It sounds like there has been the government has stepped in and said this is a list of essential mm -hmm. vaccines, and that required the pharmaceutical companies not to increase the cost the way we're seeing with some cancer mm -hmm. drugs, um, or say the EpiPen mm -hmm. that. Uh, was in the news, you know, a year ago on how mm -hmm. expensive the EpiPen was. So as long as it's on that essential list, then it's a controlled cost? It's pretty controlled. Um, they still, for the, you know, there's two markets. So there's the um, contract that um, provides for those vaccines for children program. Um, that is basically the CDC contract. Uh, but then any provider can purchase a private vaccine. And those are the vaccines that are used when people are billing insurance. You know, so providers all typically have those two stocks if they're a VFC provider. Um, costs do increase. I mean, the companies, you know, they have their own, you know, internal reasons. But 
I will say that there's a big myth out there that pharmaceutical companies are just raking in money, right, of, over vaccines and it's big pharma and that's why they're recommended and it has nothing to do with, you know, how preventative they are and how much, you know, how many lives they're saving. Um, and so that's, that is a myth we hear a lot and, and try to dispel. Um, and I think it is hard when their other sides of pharmaceutical companies are struggling with those front and center issues around EpiPens or asthma medicine or whatever. Um, this price list actually um, is on the CDC website. So you can see the average cost of each vaccine dose. Um, some of the newer vaccines are more expensive. You know, HPV and meningococcal are at the top, um, but they're newer. Um, and those research, the studies, you know, everything that goes into developing a vaccine unfortunately gets rolled in obviously, to those costs. Um, and the older vaccines that have been around, you know, they're much lower. And that's just, you know, that's what happens. That's the So is there another vaccine you want to talk about, Heidi? Another one that you think that people are not looking at as being essential in their mm -hmm. life? Flu shot. <laughs> um, my great-grandfather died of the flu um, in the 1918 pandemic. He was young. He was healthy, um, left behind a young family. Um, and I think we just we have this um, we just have this belief that the flu is not a big deal, and it's a huge deal. You know, we have thousands of hospitalizations. Um, it costs communities millions of dollars. Um, it's a top ten death cause of death in Nevada, um, along with pneumonia. And it's preventable. Now, if you get a flu shot, it doesn't mean you're not going to get the flu. I mean, we know that that's. Um, but it makes it a lot less, and it probably is going to keep you out of the hospital. Um, we just don't take it serious, and we should, because um, especially for those who are vulnerable, um, those who have other health conditions especially, um, and depending on the strain, like H1N1 a decade ago, which we're just hitting kind of the anniversary of that starting, um, that strain hit young, healthy adults hard. And we saw a lot of deaths in that middle age group, um, which was unexpected. And so people think, oh, I'm fine. Like, I eat healthy, I work out, I take care of myself. The flu's not a big deal, but it is. And it can also cause you to lose substantial amount of work time. So are you prepared to maybe lose those wages? Do you have a way to take care of your family? Um, all of those pieces, you know, it's a ripple-down effect. We've seen schools closed because of the high um, level of flu in that school. Um, and so if everybody got a flu shot, um, we would just we would be so much more protected and we would be taking care of all of those that can't. Um, so that's my other, I guess, kind of like soapbox. Sure, um, sure. It's just flu, I think, is we just don't give it the, the seriousness, you know, that it really deserves. So what would you like to see in the next two or three years happen with immunizations? Mm -hmm. What do you think will happen? Do you think that we will get stricter with this? Um, I think that if this measles outbreak continues um, the way it is going, um, that, yes, Nevada will need to look at you know what we have in place and where do we need to um, strengthen um, we did a sign-on statement for National Infant Immunization Week, and we had um, over 110 organizations and individual healthcare and public health professionals sign on, um, supporting strengthening our system here in some way. 
Um, and there's a lot of ways, you know. So there's little baby steps, and then there's obviously the big remove the exemption step, and there's a lot in between. Um, and so I don't know, you know, what Nevada um, will do, but I think that we'll need to do something. Um, we also really need to look at these access gaps. Um, it's not okay that we have 15, 20 percent point differences in our below poverty kids and our kids above poverty. Um, that's just not acceptable um, to me. And I think we have a lot of work to do in our communities. Um, we're addressing other big issues that are affecting these families, and we need to address this one too. So how can somebody who maybe is listening to this and says that they would like to help out yeah. Immunize Nevada, how can they help you? We have some great opportunities. So we do have a volunteer program. We're a service enterprise a certified organization. So we actually have volunteer opportunities that can put you in front of a community group giving a presentation. You can work with us at an event to look up immunization records. Um, so we have, um, I think we have some unique ways, you know, to come volunteer with us. It's not just coming and stuffing envelopes or um, answering our phone. And then um, donate, you know, I think that's always, um, for us, when you donate, um, it gives us an opportunity to put money where it's needed. So like in this situation right now we're in, you know, we're trying to figure out ways to stay ahead of measles. And so having resources to put into communities um, that aren't from a grant or, you know, so that really helps us. So donating. Um, and another thing I tell people all the time that we talked about earlier is be vocal, you know, share what we're sharing on social media. You can share our posts. We're very, very active on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, you can share our blog. So we blog, um, and we try to blog a couple times a month. Um, we're not, we don't always stay on that schedule, but we try to keep it timely. Um, so it usually is something that you should be able to share that goes with maybe something um, like it's Pride Month or, you know, whatever. So share our blogs. You can subscribe to it um, and really have those conversations. And if you hear a friend or family member that you th is saying something or sharing something that you're kind of like, uh, I don't know if that's true. You can just say, hey, you should, you know, talk to Immunize Nevada. We answer messages on Facebook. We have an info um, at immunizenevada.org email. Um, people call us. You know, that's what we're here for. Um, we're here to be that trusted resource um, that's accessible, non-governmental, and, you know, kind of your friendly neighbor. Fabulous. Give us the website again where someone yep. can get a hold of Immunize Nevada, where they could volunteer or they mm -hmm. could find the list of where they can get vaccines for free. Yep. Our main website is immunizenevada.org. Um, on that website, um, you'll see we have a couple different things. We have a where to go um, link right on the front page, but we also have a calendar link. And that calendar link, we actually source any health vaccination all of the above event that's happening across Nevada. Um, it'll say the location, you know, in the listing. So people can go and see where each day, what might be available. Um, and then current news in our blog is right on the front page too. And we have tabs about volunteering um, and the donate tab is on there and lots of other information, data, um, information about measles. We have a measles page. <laughs> so it's chock full. Um, and if you have something that you can't find in there, that's, you know, just message us. Okay. 
Well, I want to thank Heidi Parker, Executive Director of Immunize Nevada, for being our guest today and for bringing us such valuable information for you and your families. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For a list of future podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. <laughs>